If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, I'm the Rue. I'm the Rue. No, you're the Michelle. I'm the Rue. Oh, fuck off. Right. So, here we go. Last time we did a full episode, I did a story about a boy called Harold Jones. Oh, yeah, and you, were sad. you said you were going to do a follow-up. Yes, so I'm going to do the follow-up now. I honestly, so there's been a documentary on TV like in the last couple of weeks about the exact thing I'm going to do, which oh, is shit. about whether or not Harold Jones is um, involved in these later murders. And I, I don't know. I don't think it was a weird case of coincidence where I'd seen him and then did the original story because I found the original story in a book that I was flicking through in my house. So it's just weird synchronicity but it matched up um so a few of you might have seen this documentary um tough (laughs) skip this bit so i meant i can't remember if i said before but harold jones was potentially involved in what's known as the hammersmith nude murders nude yes nude as in nicky yeah and so like that case itself there are loads of different theories about who it could be so i haven't gone into all the different avenues of who else could have been um involved in the hammersmith nude murders because it's really complex um it's almost as complicated as jack the ripper case um there's loads of different people and loads of different reasons so um i if you're interested in it, you can definitely read into it yourself if you want to know any of the other people. Um, you can watch the documentary. It is called Dark Sun, The Hunt of a Serial Killer on BBC. Um, but Or you can just listen to me and be satisfied with that. Um, so there was loads of debate around these cases. It was a series of murders that happened in London in the 1960s where sex workers were strangled, stripped of all their clothes, and then their bodies were just dumped. Some people consider that there are eight victims, whereas there's more of a general consensus that there were six that follow the exact pattern and must be the same guy. This is due to the fact that two of the victims, the first two that people think might be included, they showed signs of probably a different killer. They were 
disposed of at totally different sites. And then one of the main things about these Hammersmith nude murders is that they had teeth pulled out and the first two didn't. You could say that this is something the killer began doing later as his things evolved. Um, I'm going to defer to the experts and just say that there were six main ones. But I will tell you about the first two potentials because otherwise no one's going to remember them. Yeah, that's true. So the first case was in 1959 and it was a lady called Elizabeth Fig. She was a 21-year-old sex worker and her body was found in Duke Meadows and it was sort of like slumped next to a tree. So she wasn't even completely stripped nude as all of the other ones were, um, but they were ripped open and it was obviously a sexualized attack. Her shoes and her purse were both stolen and it was clear she was strangled to death. Now, they did have a main suspect for that in that she had an abusive pimp boyfriend, which seemed quite likely. Yeah. But there was no one arrested for that one. And then the second potential was a lady called Gwyneth Rees in 1963. Her body was found very, very close to where Elizabeth's body was discovered in like a council dump. She was stripped naked and she had teeth missing, but she'd been buried in a shallow grave and tried to hide the body. But all the other six that I'm going to talk to you about, the things they had in common were... They were all sex workers who had moved to London from other areas um, all over England and so had fallen into sex work for various reasons but mainly struggling they were all short okay five two and under they were all stripped naked they all had teeth removed particularly from the front of their face their bodies all had um signs that they'd been stored for us like a little period of time before they were dumped yeah and then the bodies were all left in and around the west london area and then something else i read on a blog I think it's called Unsolved Blog. This person suggested that they'd all had or recently recovered from an STI. And I was like... Haven't we all? Well, exactly. So, actually, I've never had one. (laughs) I've been been extremely lucky in that department. Um, And I was like, unless you're going to suggest... that, Are you suggesting that it's a doctor? Because that's how they knew them. But they were all sex workers. So I think it's par for the course that in the 1960s they'd have had an STI yeah and everyone just basically having sex back then so how would you even find that out to have that part of your sort of like oh I'm looking for women with STI exactly so unless it was like a doctor so I don't think that's um much of a muchness I stopped reading that particular blog at that point (laughs) so I'm going to go through the Hammersmith murders quite quickly because then the main focus is going to be how Harold Jones links into it so the first um definite victim of the person who came to be known as Jack the Stripper um, was Hannah Tailford. Bit of a spree from 1964 just to the start of 1965 that all six of these victims were murdered in. So she was originally from Northumberland and she had come down to London and found it very difficult to actually make your way there. And so she became a sex worker and she was 30 years old at the time of her death. She was found completely naked except for stockings. I think most of the victims did still have stockings on. And her underwear had been stuffed into her mouth. There was bruising on her face that suggested that it was quite sadistic, like they tried to really hurt her and her teeth were missing. Um, The attitude at the time, though, was more of 
a shock headline, but they're not actually much interest in it. The headline for when they found her body was Fun Time Girl Found in Thames. Oh my God. So there's absolutely no sympathy for the victim whatsoever. Describe that like you've just found She's her. She's just a girl who wants a fun time. Yeah, <laughs> who's been brutally assaulted yeah. and murdered. So I can't... The, Later, the police really did step it up when they had more bodies. But initially, it was kind of thought of an attack on a, as they would have said, attack on a prostitute. It happens. Uh, So that was in February. Then in the April um, of Irene Lockwood, she was 26 years old and she was also found in the Thames, not far from where Hannah Telford's body was. She was also naked and strangled and she was four months pregnant at the time. Oh, But this time, because it was in almost exactly the same area, the police did increase their presence along that stretch of the Thames. And it seems to have had an effect because the next ones were dumped further away. And I do say dumped, which sounds harsh, but... Like some often, like with serial killers, they might try and hide them or... Mm. Whereas these would literally just be thrown out of the back of a car. Yeah, they're not like weighted down. No, just like... Yeah. Chuck and run. We're now on April the 24th, so even quicker together. I assume maybe because, you know, once you've had a bit of success, you don't wait as long before you do the next one. I was actually looking into, actually, why um, murderers do become more frequent. And part of it, I think, is the confidence grows, like you've practiced it, but also the thrill wears off quicker the more that you do. So you need that thrill more often and that's why they intensify, they become more frequent over time. Um, But then there's sometimes that they just stop, don't they, for periods of time. I guess sometimes it's because they're in prison. Well, both those things are going to be quite interesting because one, one of the arguments about Harold Jones, when I'll do, I will recap on who he is in case you haven't fully listened to our previous episode. Um, But one of the arguments is that his initial crimes weren't as huge as these ones but then as you said like over time you have to increase it and step it up Mm. and then another argument is that why did they just stop and there must so there's the person that would be this jack the stripper must have had a reason for stopping like he's gone to prison he's died he got married and they went on holiday like some yeah yeah exactly so this third victim was helen bartholomew And her body was found in an alleyway in Brentford. She did, when they found her body, the police did make quite a key discovery, which was that they noticed she had little flecks of paint um, on her skin. And it's the sort of paint that would be used in spraying cars and Mm. car parts. So that was quite an important thing that they found. Um, They also, on her body, they discovered... Well, not discovered, but in the post-mortem, they were looking a lot more closely now, potentially. And they were at the tooth sockets where the teeth had been removed. They saw that there was a lack of blood in the sockets. And so then it became clear that these teeth were being pulled after they were dead, which clearly shows that this was a sadistic killer who was taking mementos. Oh, is that why? Because I was thinking, are they worth some money? Or No, because they were taking like front teeth. Oh. Because I initially thought when I saw this, were they just, did they have false teeth? Because oh, yeah. I don't know, see, I've not looked into this massively. I just know from my grandma. Because I was like, why does she, I always used to ask her, why did she have false teeth? And she said that back in the day, when you were pregnant, it would make, she said when you're pregnant, it makes your 
gums loose and when like back in the 59 when my dad was being born they just used to pull them out mm, my mum said that there was um uh, two sisters and for a present their dad like she knew um their dad had paid for them to have all their teeth pulled out and then they got two set like a set of false teeth each so the teeth look great but they like take them out at night put them in a glass by the bed like, yeah yeah, see, that was That's my grandma. She had, when she jobs. was pregnant, she had all of her teeth removed and a false set put in. So I thought in the 60s, are these just women generally had, were more yeah. likely to have a false tooth Maybe. younger. But now there's this evidence of the lack of blood. These were definitely being taken, being removed is the thought after they were dead. Then we get to uh, victim number four, who is Mary Fleming. And this was in July of the same year, 1964. She was 30 years old and her body was found just on a street in Cheswick. Um, she again had the paint flex on her. So this became pretty much their major lead. Then the fifth victim was Frances Brown. This was in October of 1964. She was 21 years old and she was found in a car park in Kensington. The difference with this one was that she had a friend who they'd both been sort of waiting on the street together uh, for curb crawlers at the time. And she saw the man that Francis got into a car with and was able to give police a description of him. And then they produced this identikit picture that could be circulated. And then we have the final victim of Jack the Stripper, which was Bridget O'Hara, And this was in February of 1965, so stopped over Christmas. Um, And she was 27-year-old, and her body was just found next to a shed in Acton. So these are all sort of around a rough, like, two, three-mile radius. She had the paint flex, and she also had evidence that she'd been stored, her body had been stored for longer in warm, dry conditions. Um, If you remember from... Is it Sarah Harvey that I did who owned a bed and breakfast and she kept a body in her cupboard oh, yeah. and it basically mummified it mm. because the air in cupboard had that warm air circulation. And it was similar here with Bridget's body when they found her parts of it were mummifying no, because so of how it had been stored. There. So it could have been maybe under floorboards in a cupboard. But then it had these paint flecks on it. So it suggested something industrial, mm. some sort of industrial area. Um, another thing that they started to notice when they look into these is that all of these crimes were happening on weekdays and they were quite organized. The fact that they were all stripped in the same way, the fact that they had been stored suggests that the person who's committing these crimes was well organized, well thought out. And if they're not doing it on a weekend, that they have weekend responsibilities, possibly a family, Mm. potentially an older man. How does this link to Harold Jones? So Harold Jones was a 15-year-old boy when he first committed his murders in 1921 in the Welsh town of Abertillery, and he was convicted for murdering uh, Frida Burnell and Florence Little, who were, I think, 8 and 12 years old. Um, And he did admit to killing them both in order to avoid the death penalty. So he was the, the pet shop with the first girl, wasn't it? And then the other girl was put into the loft. Yes, exactly. He killed her and (laughs) stored her there. Um, And he went to prison for 20 years where he served before he was released. So this would make him still a relatively youngish man. He's only Mm -hmm. in his mid-30s. And so Harold Jones was able to make 
sort of a pretty good go of starting again by he married, he had a family and he set up his life then in London. Obviously, if police records had been then what they are today, immediately a known killer living in that exact area where the murders were taking place would have been something that they could search for and he would have, Harold Jones would have been put at the top of the suspect list from the very beginning. Um, Unfortunately, this wasn't the case um, and Harold Jones managed to live his whole life unchallenged by these murders and he actually didn't even appear as a suspect in any of the reviews or investigations. I mean, I'm thinking who wanted to marry him after, after that and have kids with him. Well, he had... It was sort of this perfect... Um, coming together of conditions that enabled him to face (laughs) no 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 it's just the circumstances really were in his favor I don't think this sort of thing would be able to happen again so he was released in 1941 which is obviously in the middle of the world war yeah um so he was reported as being a model prisoner um as he was thought a model shop assistant but he didn't really engage in any of the therapy or the counseling or any of the group work or anything even with him that he was supposed to have done in prison um he didn't want to talk about the crimes and so it was difficult to know his feelings there was a report made on him in prison and in that his prison officer stated that Jones kept denying that he ever wanted to have sex with the girls, but that he did ejaculate at some point during the murder. Oh, I thought you were going to say during the interview. No. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like, did you just... (laughs) Wait a second. But no, so he said he didn't want to have sex with the girls ever, but he did ejaculate during the murder of Florence Little. And this led to the conclusion that the actual attacking of a woman is what sexually aroused him and that his sexual pleasure just came from cruel and sadistic acts. It also said, quote, the prisoner shows no remorse. And it's thought that sadism at that sort of level is unlikely to just be reformed in prison. You're not going to come out a changed man if you've had that as a Mm. child, if your sexual experience is linked to hurting people and killing people that's not going to suddenly go away and you're going to be a normal person because that's what you're imagining like when you're sorting yourself out i imagine so you've still got kind of if that's what you go for that's what you go for isn't exactly. it exactly so like i say he was then released it was world war ii so he was conscripted so he was able to go into the army for a while got away with things obviously there's a lot of confusion a like lot of movement supposed to be fighting and he's just jacking off <laughs> Um, but then when he came back he changed his name which was so easy to do back then I mean obviously people need new papers all sorts happening he changed his name to Harry Stevens when he left the army in 1948 he's got a new name he has been out of the system for a while because he's been living abroad Um, so everyone's pretty much forgot about him he's he's not got probation up nothing like he's on his own now and he's So then when he moves to London, that's the perfect city in which to again even further become anonymous. If he'd have gone back to Wales um, and to Abitillery, everyone would have known him on site and even the surrounding towns, he would have been too well known to to be avoided. So he managed to use the cultural climate at the time to just disappear basically. 
So when he moved to London, Jones settled in Hammersmith on a street called Aldensley Road. And it was literally two streets from where um, the victims, Francis Brown and Bridget O'Hara, actually lived, which obviously no one knew at the time. Mm. Um, So then, another little thing, in 1950, Harold Jones was seen back in Abertillery going to the graves of the young girls that he'd (gasps) murdered, which again... People who believe that he couldn't have done it, he was changed, he was fine, suggest that he's going back to sort of get a little bit more pleasure, visiting their graves. There's no good reason why you would go back there. No. So then I did start looking into the BBC documentary, The Dark Sun one, um, and it was really quite interesting because, yes, it has lots of information on Harold Jones, but the way they found it was in this wonderful crossover where it's like last of the summer wine and murder she wrote so basically he it's like a civilian team that he puts together of retired police officers and (laughs) local he gets a lot of the welsh locals involved so it's like here's june she did a course in forensic science and he's like june can you read the report well it says that um they were strangled. I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> Just so it's nice that I think that's the way to do it in that when that small community. If you're going to go poking around in such in a crime like that, which has still impacted the community there, um, you're going to need to get them on side. Get Betty in the tea shop involved. But it is quite funny because everyone's retired, and they he's like, right, let's hit the streets and rewalk the path, and so they're all just this gang of pensioners wandering around in the rain. It's Yeah, I found it amusing anyway. (laughs) Part of what really needed to be done to connect Harold Jones to the Hammersmith nude murders is to show the similarities with his convicted murders to the Hammersmith murders. It's possible to argue with many serial killers that MO changes and refines over time. They either become more sophisticated or, like you said, they have to escalate the crime so that it can continue to feel a high, continue to feel the same pleasure. Um, So one seed of similarity is this keeping of mementos from the victims. From his second murder... He obviously, like you mentioned, he attempted to store Florence Little's body in the attic, um, which sort of hints at these bodies, which we know were going to be stored somewhere later. So that, And that's done so that you can keep going back to them and enjoying yeah. it for a little bit longer, messing about with mm, them. Like my murder last week. Oh, no, the Slash and Dash. He kept them for days and days and sort of kept yeah. around with them. <laughs> just having a little fiddle around. Um, and then so when he was arrested he, I can't remember if I mentioned this but he was found to have several ladies handkerchiefs in his pocket so about six or seven handkerchiefs that he'd held on to were they all different colours that he was going to put in his pocket to signal different sexual preferences maybe he was just really into semaphore <laughs> um, but yeah so they were potentially souvenirs from the girls or from other girls that he liked and wanted to hold on to them that could be seen as linking to his later collection of teeth and also the clothes because the clothes were never found that were stripped from the victims. So whether he was just holding on to them or, I don't know, wearing them. There's some thought that the some of the victims had been undressed and redressed and then undressed again. So who knows what he was up to with them. 
So there's also this sexual motivation um, with the two young girls that Harold Jones definitely killed. He there was some sort of attempted rape, even though he says that he wasn't didn't want to have sex with them. It did. In, there was that sexual element to it. He ejaculated, and there was um, definite damage to the genitals of the girls. Um, then obviously he chose. He was 15 and he chose girls of 8 and 12, younger and smaller than himself. That's true, yeah. The Hammersmith Noon murders, all rather short ladies. Mm. And then, if you remember from the other week, he had that girlfriend that he was asking if she would spit in his mouth. Oh, yeah. As we know, he was sadistic and he was creepy in his murders anyway. So this spitting in the mouth is a little bit of a start point of that but it could be seen as potentially some sort of oral fixation um which then in the hammersmith murders would have been why take the teeth um yeah similar sort because that's unusual to pull teeth isn't it clothes maybe lop other body parts have been cut off before to be kept teeth i've not really just teeth yeah put them all together and make one set I wonder if he had one of those necklaces. So potentially there's this oral similarity as well. As I mentioned before, the one thing that police at the time in the investigation had to go on was the presence of the paint flecks on the bodies, particularly on the one on Helen Bartholomew. And so they deducted that they must be being stored in some kind of garage or factory where cars are being painted or nearby. So they visited loads of paint shops to try and find this paint it also was a very specific mix of like dust particles and things in there so back then when they didn't have dna there was shit hot like fiber stuff and any sort of microscopic thing it always impresses me so eventually they did find um a place where this specific type of paint would have been used and where the other sort of dust and Um, I don't know, I guess soily bits, would have converged. And they narrowed it down to a place called Shaw and Kilburn um, on Heron Trading Estate in Acton, which is the same area that obviously these people were being disposed of and murdered. Um, But they couldn't determine if the bodies were being stored in the garage where the cars were being painted. It wasn't quite right. So then, as they were searching, right next to Shaw and Kilburn, there was an abandoned um, factory and there was an electricity transformer shed in between the two buildings. Um, So this belonged to the disused building, but it was right next to this garage. And so they had a look and saw that with this sort of air convection system, paint flecks would have been coming out of the garage and then um, this this surrounding electricity shed thing. Yeah, because I was going to say, you you wouldn't just lie them on the floor when they're all doing their work because that would, everyone would just be... They're not all going to be murderers, but yeah, that makes exactly. way more sense. So they were pretty certain that that is where the bodies were being stored. Yeah. Almost 100%. That's where the bodies were. So then again, this person is someone who knows the local area really well, who knows about this disused 
place. Because I would have said maybe works there, but I guess not necessarily. Potentially works there. It's yeah. a trading estate. There's lots of different sort of industrial things happening yeah. there. So works on that industrial mm. estate. Unfortunately, I mean, a lot of the... Because Harold Jones wasn't a suspect at the time, and it's only been groups since that have brought this forward... The zone, they have had to ask Harold Jones's daughter a lot of questions and you don't always know so she doesn't actually know where he worked yeah. and he was using different names Harry Stevens, Harold Jones so it's and obviously quite generic names and I guess a lot of those jobs in the 60s might have been cash in hand there's probably not records yeah. but it's likely that the murderer did work there yeah. definitely and Harold Jones was a sheet metal worker. Oh, okay. So, yeah, very likely. That's what his daughter remembers. So quite possibly he was around there, but definitely he worked in that sort of industrial setting in Acton. Mm. Um, like I said, it's similar to the child murders that they were being stored in this place. Also, like with the first one, he knew of their little storage shed around the back. It's a similar sort of thing again. There was then this other bit of information, which was in July of 1964, Um, A guy called Peter Murray had been on a date with a girl the night that Mary Fleming went missing. So he was walking home from the cinema and he was going past sort of a garage when he recalled seeing another couple, a girl with really dark hair and a man in a cream mac and a trilby, which is the uniform of the creep. Pretty much. Um they asked Harold Jones' daughter about him wearing a trilby, which he regularly did. And they're like, why did he? Because it wasn't even fashionable. She's like, I don't know, just did. So. I don't think that... Were they ever cool? Maybe like I... Peaky Blinders, but they wear flat When they were like cool in like the 40s. Yeah. Um, but we're now 30 years on. He's there in his Mac and hat. So this Peter Murray, who is this eyewitness, he recalls seeing the man, as he says, disturbing her clothing. Um and he told the police later what he witnessed and it's thought that this is pretty much they're pretty sure that this was Mary Fleming struggling against her killer so Marie also recalls that the man was a very similar height to the woman who as we know they were all around five foot something so it's a short guy we're looking for Harold Jones was definitely a little short ass you can see from the picture of him as a 15 year old he's got like weird proportions like a little bulldog um <laughs> But they had to estimate it from some family photos. They reckon it was about five foot four. That's which small. is quite short for a man in that you'd notice you're a short person. Yeah. So there's the evidence is building up against him. So then about like top of that is he's short, and you know how we feel about short men. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's nothing more to be said on it. Um so then obviously there's the identity photo um identity fit picture and whether that would link to Harold um so this was the friend of Florence Brown who saw her get into a car with a man who was curb crawling and they created this picture with a sketch artist and then it's again it's only now that we have that people have put forward the idea of it being Harold Jones like literally in the 2000s they put this forward that they can compare his two photographs it's kind of intriguing it's not so similar that I would be like, I'm 100% sold. Like, that's it. Um, but then when you look at it, there's definite similarities. For example, like on the, I'll show you the picture in a second. The drawing has like quite pointed, the tops of his ears sort of stick out and are quite pointed. And that's similar to a photo of Harold Jones as an adult. The eyes are almost identical. But then 
like I was looking at a photo of Howard Jones as a boy and as an adult and if you showed me those two side by side I wouldn't be like "Hmm, they're definitely the same person it's really it's not an exact science really is it because people can change so much I mean I think the fact he's a sheet worker he lives in the area he's short and he like he definitely would have been up to something he wouldn't just stop well exactly just shit. the fact that his crimes were so perverse and mm. so like, it shows that he had the sort of nature that wasn't and he didn't do any sort of reformation in there it's yeah. not happening and um, i'm going to show you the photos and see what you think so this is the oh, shit. police image of harold jones okay yeah and then this is him the mm. human yeah, I wouldn't... Cause that is a quite a distinctive drawing. And he looks a lot younger, but was he younger? He does look a y- lot younger, but no, he would have been like 50s. Yeah, no. 50s, 60s. But... I wouldn't say absolutely not, but I wouldn't say... I mean, my lack of preparation means I'm not able to show Lucy the side-by-side that I was hoping for, but... The eyes are identical. We'll put them on, on Instagram and you can yeah. have a look. I'll get it on Instagram for yeah. sure. We'll do like a swipey thing. So police, before stopping the, their investigation at the time in the 60s, they narrowed it down to what they said they had three possible suspects. They weren't named officially ever. None of them were Harold Jones because they just didn't know anything about him. He wasn't involved. Um, so they had various people and mainly it's because of this like you said before about why did they stop so a couple of their main suspects were people that had killed themselves or died quite quickly and they thought due to the things there was a guy called mungo island he did have an alibi for one of the murders so if he didn't do one he couldn't have been this serial killer but he had killed himself so they think that's maybe why he was there was a famous boxer at the time um, who was a suspect. Again, he'd killed himself. And there was all sorts of reasons. He was having an affair with his wife. He was in debt. But they were like, this could potentially be it. Um, Seems like a stretch. Yeah. But yeah, exactly like you said, though. Why would he have stopped? There must be a reason. The person we're looking for must have a reason for stopping. And Professor David Wilson, who was, is leading this investigation, reinvestigation into it and um, is on the documentary, he suggests that, it is usually due to basically they have to get very sick or they've died um, for that to be a reason. And then after speaking to the family of Harold Jones, um, they found that around the time of the last murder, he became very ill with a form of bone cancer. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, I'm convinced it's him. Yeah, I think it is after reading all of this, Mm. to be honest. Um. So Harold Jones' daughter, she is alive, but it wasn't until, I'm pretty sure it wasn't until like people started suggesting he was a fit for Jack the Stripper that she even knew that her dad had been Harold Jones, the child killer. I mean, I guess that means that there was no child abuse or, because you know, if he's weird around young girls, I mean, you would worry wouldn't you yeah i mean in this whole documentary she never says anything like i loved him he was a brit she never like goes over the top that he was great but she never right. says anything that he did either he seems yeah, to be quite normal like, yeah. but i do think i was a bit suspicious in that you'd say something like he was a great dad she never really says that 
But she did say she was extremely shocked to find out about it. She'd never known that he'd been in prison for murder. Um, She said her memories of him as a dad do make it very unlikely to believe that he could have committed the ones in Wales, let alone the ones in Hammersmith, though we know he did. Um, She believes that people can change and that he could have been he got better when he came out of prison but she also agrees that she has helped the investigation loads because basically she's saying if he did kill people I'd rather just know and if he didn't I want to know that too so she wants the investigation to move forward so that you can just say no rather than keep thinking maybe he killed more people um which means she must have an inkling that he because if you were like my dad was the greatest dad I mean she's still alive I don't want to like piss her off but like like if someone's that said that about my dad i'd be like yeah absolutely like there's no way but then i guess she's been told that he definitely did kill two children which she didn't know about so you you've got to start questioning think well clearly i didn't know what he was like that much anyway so other things she's helped she told she's been able to inform about the fact that he changed his name she's also been able to inform about the fact that he around the time of the murders was when he changed his name back to Harold Jones. She'd always known him as Harry Stevens and then he changed his name back. And that could be because he was thinking if people start saying Harry Stevens was lurking here, Harry Stevens was seen here, then he can go, wait, I'm Harold Jones. And because why would you change your name back to the child murderer name unless it was going to be more convenient for you? Um, and he just told them it was to be able to get jobs and things. She mentioned that he often had this Chorby hat. She was able to give loads of photographs. And she also said that um, he would have a lot of arguments with her mum. And there was some weird thing about how he was... She felt like he was almost scared to get angry around her. And if they had an argument, he would leave and stay in this hostel in Hammersmith. It's a particular hostel that he'd first stayed in when he moved to London after the war and that he would always do that because she'd been with her mum to pick him up from there one time. And she's just like, it was weird because they never would argue. He'd have to get out. And she's, she thought, I always thought that it might be because he was scared of what he I'm would do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What would be worse, seeing your parents argue or seeing your dad have a boner? What would be worse, like, if you're really angry with your husband, if he, like, got really angry back or got hard? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I think, I think I'd think i be more annoyed when they got angry back because if they're going to get a boner, like, you're the twat here. And like, if you, this is what you're into, I can give you argument all day long. <laughs> Yeah, I could be your dream girl. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then in the conclusion of this documentary, basically, um, Professor David Wilson and his team of geriatrics. No, that's me. They're, they're, not, they're retired professionals, most of them, apart from this one pers- Welsh woman who did a course in forensic at one time. And he keeps asking her to read stuff out loud. She is not the best reader, <laughs> which makes me think she's the best reader in the group. Which is also worrying. Um, and at one point he's like, do you have the report? And she's like, no, I've got a death certificate instead. So she didn't even have the thing. Anyway. 
Sorry, Professor David Wilson and his team. Basically, the idea was that they would present all this information they found to this man, Alan Jackerman, who was responsible for conducting a cold case review of the Hammersmith nude murders in 2007, because this case is not closed. It's still open as a cold case. So they would present this information to him and then he would be able to decide whether or not they could begin investigating with now Harold Jones as a suspect and potentially close the case. So to recap, the the evidence basically that they're putting forward is the fact his age fits the profile of this older organized family man uh the height that he was quite a short man and that who was known for murdering smaller people all of the victims were particularly short um the fact that it was someone who had to have knowledge of the area had to have access to that storage um shed the fact that he was known to do sadistic trophy taking, which this murderer also did. The fact that all the bodies were stored for a period of time before being disposed of, as he had done with Florence. The sadistic element of the attacks and the fact that he changed his name after the murders happened. So all of that was put forth. Alan Jackman in the conclusion said that yes, he felt that this was enough to be able to go and reopen it. So things are going to be happening soon. So watch this space. But not this particular space because I'm totally over it. I'm not gonna go <laughs> I'm not gonna talk about it again. But you're probably gonna see it come up in the news and things like that. Yeah, tag us in. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So I am going to tell you the story of the disappearance of Arlene Fraser. 
So Arlene Fraser was an ordinary woman living in Scotland. Oh, sounds like it's going to be boring then. Yeah. Um, She'd been born... (laughs) (laughs) Give me a murder of a crazy woman. So she'd been born um, Arlene McInnes and had been quite a happy child, quite an attractive woman growing up, um, taking care of her appearance. So age 21, she met Nat Fraser, who was a bit of a laddish bloke, rugby player, quite hardworking. Also played guitar and he was like in a band as well. Um, And she was like, well, that's a bit of a catch. So she was pretty besotted pretty early on. Which I think rugby guys... If I had a guy who played a sport, I think I'd go rugby. Yeah, and I did... When I was younger, I always used to be like, rugby guys are my thing. Yeah. Like, very specific thing. Because have you heard that phrase that um, football is a gentleman's game played by hooligans and rugby is a hooligans game played by gentlemen? Oh. The rugby men that. are always kind of like... They're not the kind of like, go out and get... I don't know. Right, I've seen so, but then when I was like twenty and I was in my rugby guy phase, all the rugby guys were twenty. Now that I'm thirty, they do not age well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they just end up looking do like. You still know them? Not any in particular, but once the cauliflower ears start appearing, it gets a bit. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Like, what even is a cauliflower? It's like, oh, basically, I've given myself a deformity. Uh, basically. It's like the boxing nose, like a yeah. flat nose. And, like, brain damage. <laughs> There's also that, that. too. Um, so, as soon as she met him, she was into him. So, after four, just four months together, they move in together. So, Arlene moves into Nut. Uh, Nuts bungalow and they live in Elgin which is a small cathedral town I think they both grew up there I know that they you know they moved in together age 21 and then they stayed living in that town for the rest of their lives so they don't leave this um, cathedral town although I thought if it's got a cathedral it's technically a city I thought that as well that's what makes it a city but um, maybe my source was incorrect maybe it's not a cathedral it's just a catholic it's just a small church yeah a few months later, the couple were engaged and then quickly after that, she got pregnant and then they got married um, while she was pregnant. Uh, she gave up work and she looked after their son, Jamie, and Nut worked quite hard, so he worked six days a week. So she was very much like a housewife, live at home. Then in 1992, they had a daughter called Natalie um, and she continued to raise the children. She'd have lunch dates with friends. She spent evenings with her husband. She did a college course. She sounds like a drag. <laughs> uh, she was like sort of planning to, get, I guess like normal woman. Kind sounds of very normal town. woman. Yeah. He's got a grudge against her. So until April the 28th, 1998, she was sort of living this uh, like sweet little life. And then she waves her children off to school that day, gets herself ready to meet a friend. And she phones the school at 9.41 a.m. Um, I mean, even this is like the most boring thing. So like she just telephones to say, oh, Jamie's on a trip today. When will he be back? And then she says, secretary says, oh, I'll check and phone you back. And she phones back 10 minutes later and there's no response. She's probably getting a tattoo that says live, laugh, love. (laughs) So then Michelle, her friend, comes over to meet her at 11am and she finds that the door, which is always locked, has been left unlocked. So like the opposite to my house. Yeah. Where you're like, why is this door locked? I was really upset that the door was locked. I was like, you knew I was coming. (laughs) So there's no answer. She goes into the house and Arlene's not there. 
the washing machine's on, the Hoover's plugged in, <gasps> even like the foundation. Who leaves the Hoover plugged in? Like, I'm not the best for unplugging things, but the Hoover, <laughs> get that out of my sight as soon as it's done. It's the iron. Like, I guess, like, oh, off yeah, the plug, but I do that. Um, I also saw a video of a hairdryer that set a bedroom on fire because it was just a hot hairdryer had just been used and then they put it on top of their bed and then the bed set on fire. Really? I've left a straightener on my bed on all day and fuck What? (laughs) When I was a teenager, it just made the sheets a bit brown because everything's fire retardant now. You don't have to worry about it. I mean, it was a video that was shown to me at fire safety training, so they wouldn't have shown me a video where it just browned the sheets, I guess. And can I just say, like, don't say, I was just like, don't worry about fire, everything's fire retardant. Don't live by that message. Yeah, don't leave your appliances on all day on the bed. Like, even to the extent, though, that it's, it's like she'd left the lid off her foundation bottle as if she was sort of halfway through applying the foundation. It's almost like she'd been magicked out of there. Like, she had clothes laid out for the day, um... Like, her glasses were there, her medicine was there, she had Crohn's disease, so she had, like, medicine she had to take regularly. Like, literally everything is in this house, it's just, she's just gone. So Michelle leaves because she's like, well, I've just walked into a house, she's not there, I, could, I can't just like, hang around here all day. But she keeps calling the house, and then she comes back at 1pm and leaves a note and says, you know, like, we're supposed to go to lunch, what happened, where are you? And then Jamie, the son, comes home, obviously, like, she's not him, met him from school, I guess maybe he planned to walk anyway. Um, and he finds they're not there and he leaves a little note saying that he's gone to his friend's house and then a neighbour who had looked after a daughter who was five so I don't know if she had her for the day or it was after school but she calls round but there's no one there and that's that's incredibly weird because obviously she's got the five-year-old daughter so her husband phones the police at this point and it's like this this just isn't normal Mm -hmm. so a missing person hunt begins so she still lives in that village so everyone knows the family so over 300 people start to help out to look in public places for Arlene and the police considered the option that she's just run away but her family are so adamant that she would not have gone and left a 10 and 5 year old child and it's a bit kind of teacher's petty at this point um have you seen have you have you watched listen to the teacher's pet now yeah i've listened to it yeah watched you can't watch it have you watched dirty john no because it's is it just as if it was a drama? Yeah, so the podcast is like Teacher's Pet. It's, um, yeah, so listen to the them. podcast, but I feel like I don't really want to watch it. Like, I just want to know the f- I just want to know the facts and I want to know like the the investigation. I want to know the science. Yeah. I don't want to watch her being like I just love him. Yeah, there's a lot of Like, I don't want... Or maybe I could watch it, but skip the first three episodes or something. I I don't... The way they present those daughters, they are fucking obnoxious. I'd be insulted. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, but then I don't know if they were like, oh, that's me. Or if they just wanted to try and make out, like, it... They wanted to be more shocking when they found out that he was... They were right. Yeah, maybe. But um, there's also on Netflix, there's dirty john something something there's like truth behind it or something oh maybe i'll just watch that there's some interviews with like the real people yeah Yeah. that like family are saying she's not left these kids so thorough investigations um become clear that arlene's husband nat wasn't living at the family home at this point so they're separated um and she'd been looking into divorce proceedings and the divorce had been due to that nat had actually assaulted her um Ooh. and he'd put his fingers around her throat his fingers like his hands <laughs> <laughs> just the, just the fingers 
Nat stated when questioned that he was obviously devastated that uh, his um, wife had disappeared. Uh, but he has got a really strong alibi. He was out of town. He was delivering fruit and veg on the day of the disappearance. He'd been with a delivery boy at the time. Um, there was CCTV of the van driving around and he phoned a woman. Uh, the documentary I watched said that a woman he'd had an affair with before and that had been logged, but then another source stated it was the niece of one of his bandmates, and he'd phoned her every day that week. So he's got this alibi. So he didn't do it, basically. Well, he he can't have he can't have physically done it. So oh. the media. Be- so it's nothing like teacher's pet then. Well, so it's th- just that there is a. It is just that there's a woman. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Luke was like going on about how it's exactly the same. I thought you were joking when you were like, oh, actually, there's no teacher. Like, it is. Just... <laughs> yeah, there's no teacher. <laughs> so, we should get him to record an intro to this saying about how this episode's the British teacher's pet because he had me fool. <laughs> so, the media begin to report that Arlene has abandoned her children that she was on drugs and she had all these boyfriends and people in the local community are like yeah yeah it's true yeah they're going along with it and even some of the police are like oh god this thing's come out and when they trace these stories back it's actually nat the husband who's spreading these rumors um and they analyzed arlene's hair off one of the brushes in the house and that showed that she had not been taking any drugs so the police investigation starts to focus on Nat Fraser and further research into their relationship shows that Nat had like at the beginning of their relationship and early into the marriage he'd started to neglect his wife he'd worked late he'd done evening gigs so he'd done like played at weddings and things and then yeah. stayed out really late and she'd got really annoyed with it and sick of it and it caused a lot of rows between them and Arlene had actually found out two weeks before they got married that Nat had been having an affair with another woman and her family members had said you know don't do it you know leave him but by that point she was pregnant so she was like, oh, we can work it out. I'll marry him anyway. Everything's booked. Yeah. I mean, the wedding gig industry is hard because my sister Anne does it. And it's most of your weekends till like really like two, three in the morning. But the fact her and her husband do it together, I think that's the only reason it works. Because otherwise you would just be gone at really inappropriate, like awkward times. So if you're getting married in the uh, <laughs> local area and would like a... Wedding singer. Let Emma know. She'll hook you up. I can't, they won't do discounts. They're so annoying. <laughs> Would they play at your wedding? I don't want them to. As if at my wedding, I want everyone to be like, your sister's amazing. <laughs> yeah. She's such a good singer. No. No. She can wear a sack and sit in the corner. <laughs> so, Nat uh, had kept most of the money that he earned and he gave um, Arlene an allowance and so a year after marrying, she had started having an affair uh, with Nat's 17-year-old delivery boy, Dougie. Oh, hello. And, uh, like, Nat's already a little bit... I am bit... already looking forward to the days when I can, like, be a cougar. <laughs> it's going to be good. You know, when I'm 50 and I get to go back to 20-year-old boys again. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it coming around. Do you not think it will be the most, like, you'll have no time for that? Maybe that's when you will have time. No, but for that. I think that's the thing that because I'll be old, so I'll just be like, you just don't, you're not, you won't care the same. Like yeah. back then, you wanted to see if it would work out and what's going to happen. And I'll just be like, okay, bye now. 
<laughs> go off you go i've got shit to do yeah like i've got this fucking ma- mansion hopefully that i need to clean i don't know okay <laughs> i'm just saying it's something to look forward to yeah like i yeah oh, i, I listened to this that. podcast and it's got um this is irrelevant i might record this but i listened to this podcast and it's like by two female comedians i can't remember their names but one of them is out of uh have you seen kiri no she is have you seen um any of the, like the joe brown stuff like getting on or like the other like joe brand series i know who joe brand is but, <laughs> but she works for joe brand and then shit they do this podcast and it's like fake agony on but it's oh i've joking. listened to that joan and jerrica that's it yeah. and they like talking about young men all the time like oh was he uh yes that's exactly what i'm gonna be like yeah it, yeah it's funny it's a good podcast so um so a year after marrying she starts this affair and then they stay together but that becomes really jealous and possessive and i guess for someone who's a bit jealous anyway her shagging your 17 year old delivery boy probably is gonna... oh as in the delivery boy like as he, in like the one who was going boy. out in the van with him not the same one but like one that he was employing at the time oh yeah he questions her clothes and sometimes he even follows her which i mean i guess he she has cheated on him so both of them have got a little bit too much time this yeah the whole relationship is they can shag extra people and then follow each other around and like work more hours well yeah but also start a podcast (laughs) so on one instance he pushed her down and he kicked her in the stomach and at this point she spends 10 days in a refuge but then she returns and he buys her flowers and gifts and underwear and he makes all these promises and she goes along with it um so now i continued to put pressure on her not to socialize and she'd often considered divorce and in 1997 she decides to end the relationship and shortly after she told him he damages her jaw so badly that she can't eat and she loses weight rapidly and she says right because although they were living together at that point she says you're moving out that, that that's enough um and at this point she enrolls us in college she thinks i'm gonna have to have you know i'm gonna go get a job I, i'm gonna do a business course so she does the right thing she tries to get herself out of that relationship she starts to see friends every Saturday night and she says, either you take the kids or my family will take the kids, but I'm going to have a social life, which mm. I think is, again, good. So it's after one of these Saturday nights when she's gone out with a friend, she comes back late, um, the same friend that she went for lunch with. Um, and he puts his hand, that's when he puts his hands around her throat, like I said, and, and he, he holds it till she passes out. And she, at this point, had gone to the police. Um, she'd seen a doctor and the doctor said, you know, you could have died from this. And she goes to the police. But then when she finds out they're going to charge him with attempted murder, she worries about, the, you know, her, her children's kids. father in jail. Yeah. So she um, doesn't pursue the charge. But then I think the police do anyway, because this comes up later. So after Ali's disappearance, due to there being no body... There were no other suspects, but they, there's nothing they can do with him. He's got this strong alibi, but it does seem like, you know, if it's going to be anyone, who's she harming other than him? Mm. So a breakthrough comes when the police discover that a beige fiesta that had been seen in the area had been bought the night before the disappearance yeah. of um, Arlene. And a beige fiesta? I know. I mean, I've got a fiesta, but beige? I've never even seen one. No. I mean, a beige, a beige car. I mean, I used to have that gold car. Do you remember? What you did? Yeah. 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 Maybe, maybe it was like that. Maybe it, cause it, it was more gold than beige. But it was a granny gold. Like it was, 
off gold. Yeah, off gold. Dirty gold. Yeah, well, this, well, the thing about this beige fiesta is it was bought the night before she disappeared by one of Lance's friends, Hector Dick. And uh, that's a fake person. No, that's actually his name. His name is like Choked a Dick or something. Nectar Dick. He- well, heck, yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't think of it that way. Hector Dick. Uh, it's not a good name, that's for sure. Um, and he, um, and then it scrapped like a couple of days later as well. So who buys a car Ooh. and then scraps it three days later unless they actually really have a thing against like Hector beige Dick fiestas. Does. Who the fuck is called Hector Dick? Although if he's going to be called that as an adult, then I assume he's also the kind of person that buys and scraps cars. <laughs> I mean, I guess if he'd argued like, I just want to rid the world of beige fiestas, I think yeah. like kind of I'd go along with that. But he denies that he has any knowledge of the car. So it's like, um, it's the mechanic that comes forward and says, I sold them this car. And then they like they find out it's been scrapped. So also Arlene's rings had been missing after she disappeared. They'd examined the house. They'd filmed the examination of the house. They'd gone around with a camera. And yet when the family moved in a few days after she'd gone missing, after a search had been carried so out. So did Nat move back into the house? No, the, the children come back with the sister and they find the rings and they hand them in. They say, oh, we found her rings. And the video makes it clear there were no rings there initially. So whoever has taken Arlene has got the rings. So this idea that she's run away is bullshit because yeah. like, why would she run away and then go back and put her rings back? It just doesn't make any sense. Then they get the mechanic to wear a wire and go speak to Hector Dick. And... <laughs> It's still funny. And um, he, Hector's like, yeah, I bought this beige fiesta. He speaks openly on tape about having bought this car. So, that had also said that Arlene had taken cash that he kept in the house. But it transpires that before she went missing, a few days before, she'd had to borrow money from a friend and she'd been really embarrassed about it. Uh, to pay some bills so why would she bother borrowing money embarrassing herself by having to ask for money if she knew there was money in the house or even bothering to like pay off the bills if she knew she was going to run away so again it doesn't make any sense that he's saying oh she took my cash like because they'd say why hasn't she used a bank card and he wanted to kind of come up with something so Nat ends up in prison for the assault of Arlene that's been pursued anyway and at this point, the police ask for... I mean, you might as well, just so that you can... Because if you want him for the murder, yeah. but you can't yeah, do anything. exactly. So the police ask for CCTV footage of... They want to know who's been visiting him. And then the CCTV that's in, like, the the visitation room that he doesn't know about. And so they ask to see the CCTV. And he's been having conversations with this other guy called Glenn Lucas. In and, custody? Yeah, like, he's... Yeah, he's in jail. Uh-huh. so he's just having visitors at the prison so they watch the tapes and these conversations look really suspicious they're really intense but there's no audio on the tape so they don't know what they were talking about so instead of just saying oh well that's shit then they hire a, a lip reading a deaf woman no! to come in who can lip read and get well, her to how- oh my goodness do you ever watch those bad lip reading videos no because you can say different things like just like there'll just be videos of like footballers and then it'll be dubbed over the top what they what what it looks like they're saying you've never watched okay youtube bad lip reading i will do 
Um, so, but they don't, the good thing is, like, they, she doesn't know anything about this inquiry. She doesn't know anything about the fact this woman's gone missing. They just get this woman in and say, what is he saying with it, with her having no prior knowledge? So when she comes out with that, he's talking about bone size, DNA, miming, sawing his wrist and talking about cutting up bones, talking about an alibi, police finding missing, like, bank cards. Then no way! It, she is like... Yeah, then she's like, she was like, I don't know what he was on about. I didn't know there was a missing woman, but this was all like, these are wow. all the things that I came up with. That would be a fun job. If you could have that as a deaf person, that could be a full-time job. <laughs> I don't think it would be a full-time job. There's not enough like, mm. surely sitting watching videos of lip reading is not going to be that required that oh often. God. I guess not. So also, he'd also mentioned that a third party had agreed to hurt Arlene for a price. So... I mean, I think that's so interesting that it's almost like she's the only one with the key to unlock this because if you showed that to a jury, then they'd just be like, I can't live read, I don't know. I'm going to say, is that even admissible in court? I think so, yeah. So after that, well, they arrest him, so it must be. So they arrest him and they charge him with conspiracy to murder. And then in comes Hector Dick, who was at first charged with something and then he's not. But... He comes forward as a witness against Nat and he says Ooh. that Nat had said to him that... Um, I'm going to te- hector your dick if you don't <laughs> buy me a car. He says, 10,000 people a year go missing and nobody knows where they've gone. And he also mentions, if I get divorced, I'll have to pay £86,000 and another man is going to live with my children. And uh, uh. they had like, this weird little meeting and like he'd be like, oh, can you buy me this car um so again there's like alibi like there's that's better than that he actually heard him say stuff yeah didn't (laughs) look like he said it (laughs) so nat receives a life sentence for murder however in 2011 he wins an appeal to have his conviction quashed and he ends up like having a retrial at this point but he's found guilty a second time. Oh. So twice he's found guilty for murder. So he has to serve from now about 10 more years. So, did they, so they didn't actually, they weren't actually able to say how he killed her. There's no body. They haven't found a body. Yeah. He's got an alibi for the actual time. Yeah. See, that's less evident. Well, it's almost the same as Teacher's Pet in that way, in that there's. Yeah, that's see there so you he's go. Convicted, like just like teachers, but pet. he's convicted purely then, based on what yeah. what Dick Hector Dick is saying and what the deaf lady's saying. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess they could get someone else to watch the video of him and look at well. that. Yeah, it's not, it's not a lot of evidence. There's no body, so it is the British teachers' pet. I guess, but like they did a better job. So fuck you, Australia. <laughs> <laughs> So, because like he was in prison, like within a couple of years. So he's got another ten years, and he can apply for parole. Um, Apparently, he's been a bit of a father figure in prison, teaching inmates to play guitar. But then you can't really believe everything you read in the Scottish Sun, can you? Nope, definitely not. So, um, if you want to support us, please sign up to Patreon. Give us like a dollar a week, like a month. I'm happy with that. You probably drop that amount in your car console yeah scrape out your car give it to us yeah that's all we want <laughs> that's literally car scraping it. it um you can follow us on things if you like um lucy sometimes puts things on twitter 
Mm-hmm. as do I but they didn't get as many likes and I don't know why <laughs> um but you can follow us on there at slaughter the pod um you can go to our Instagram we're pretty active on Instagram I would say yeah because we take pictures of our food which is <laughs> at Lucy Emma Slaughter and there's other stuff there's crime related stuff there's all sorts on there um you can join our facebook group and join in the discussion and just search for slaughter on facebook and you can um just holler at us at uh slaughter the podcast at gmail.com if you've got any requests of like crimes and stuff so remember and when you request the crime if you sort of write out in detail what exactly happened with a timeline of events that would be great and some jokes and some references <laughs> so remember listening to slaughter doesn't make you a psycho writing for the scottish sun does tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts good news ad free listening is available on amazon music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your prime membership stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the amazon music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.